0: Welcome to the Kesset Church podcast we are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon if you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kesedchurch.com or find us on Facebook good morning church good morning it is good to see you uh, I shared with the first service I I don't I don't always have this uh, I want to um, but this morning, and both times in worship, I just had this like I, this feeling of expectation that I don't want to miss the fact that we gather together um, hoping and aiming to hear from God and that there is power in that. So I want to move into this message today with that expectation and for all of us to have that honestly, is that there's an expectation that we're not just meeting in vain and we're not just killing an hour and a half here together, that there's a living God that is speaking, that is moving, and he is here and he is with us and he wants to do something with your life. And so I'm just going to preach with that in mind, and you guys hopefully will listen. Amen? With that in mind? All right. So, we have been in a series uh, here at Kesed called Tradition, Legend, and Lore. It's a little bit different than, than any series we've done before. And if you haven't checked it out yet, really encourage you guys to go listen online or uh, to watch it online. But the basic premise of this series. Is that it's a series about discovering the importance of spiritual experience through tradition, legend, and lore, right? So the idea is we've been looking at different fables, different stories, and with this trust and know that God moves through the scriptures, and absolutely, and that's what we come here to gather around, right? But this God right, also uh, interjects himself into life in amazing ways. And so we look at traditions, we look at the things that we do, the the stories that we tell, and we know that God's hiding within them, right? And so many of you, you, you've shared with us that you have traditions for the holidays especially as well. We've been sharing a couple each week. Um, Some of you are weird, all right? We love you anyway, okay? (laughs) Uh, This one's awesome. Uh, A Thanksgiving tradition. I put peanut butter on the kids' feet and toes on Thanksgiving, and let our puppy lick it off, the kids think it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if that's a widely held tradition. It may, some of you are like, let's do it, right? <laughs> You're welcome, right? The next, Thanksgiving meal menu consists of everyone's favorites, but we may end up with ham, spaghetti, and mac and cheese. Right? So I don't know if you guys have a roaming menu, all right i have to share really quick my dad yesterday was talking about this is just i hanging out with your dad is always a fun experience but he was saying you know what thanksgiving you know i don't really love the food of thanksgiving the only things i really love are um, green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and the rolls um, and a little bit of turkey and uh and i was like dad that's all of it like you love thanksgiving right so But here's the thing about these traditions um, that we enjoy together. You you often don't know the power of them until one's taken away, or someone tries to take one away, right? And so um, what we're doing in this series is we're acknowledging the fact that that laced inside of so many of, of the lore of the, even children's stories that we grew up with, is God's gospel, God's truth, God's good news. And so we, we, we've been taking a little time each week to dive into one of these stories, and we will do that as well today um, because storytelling is a spiritual experience. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by author Barbara Brown Taylor says, The earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. All right, amen, right? And so we want to, we've been talking about this, this, the tools of our trade as Christ followers of scripture, tradition, and experience. Scripture being the word of God, um, experience being the Holy Spirit in us and learning how to uh, manage our emotions and, and be aware of what's going on, and tradition being the collective wisdom that we pass on from generation to generation. Those are our tools that we use to look into these stories. And we recognize that though God... Is absolutely the author of this book. It's not the only thing he's the author of. That he is everywhere. And so we want to be people that recognize that. Right? We want to be people that recognize that. So um, Jesus pulled eternal value out of stories, right? And we continue in that family business, okay? So what I want to do today is I want to start with a story, I shared a few weeks ago when I spoke up here that my wife and I uh, are expecting a baby boy uh, in the first week of January, and we're really excited for that. And so, like you often do, uh, getting ready for that, is uh, we went and did a hospital tour at Legacy, okay? We showed up, there were eight couples in the waiting room, and it's one of these things that's really exciting, and then you get there and you're like, this is getting real, right? Like, This is getting, and all, like, there's kind of this mood in the room. All the dads are like, (laughs) this is really real. Now, they did a great job hiring because the person that took us on the tour was wonderful. She was gracious. She was very informative. And she took us from room to room, just kind of walking us through what the experience had been like. I've been through this once before, but still, for me, it was like, All right, this is getting real. And so we ended up in one of the delivery rooms and all of us, eight couples and her, so almost 20 people in this little room inside of there. And she did a great job of just showing us everything, Like, like walking us through and saying, listen, this room, once you're in here, it is your room. So anything in here, like towels or gowns or anything, you don't have to ask. You can just grab. And it just was very welcoming, you know. And she shows us the bed and how it works. And then, again, I'm just realizing, like, A human's going to show up right there. Like, that's really real. And there was just this air of like, whew. Like, it wasn't stress. It wasn't anxiety. But it was like, beautiful weight, right? It was like, this is getting real. And so she's doing a tour of the room. She's opening up different cabinets. She shows us where the towels and gowns are and everything. And she's walking around and she opens uh, a couple of them. And she goes to open a a whole set of another one. And there's a, one of the guys in the room is standing right in front of the doors. And he goes, she goes to like open it and she kind of leans in, kind of, hey, I'm trying to get in there. And he doesn't move, right? And so it's like, oh, does he not notice? And so she does the next thing. You ever done this before? Where it's like, I'm going to put my hands on the door and I'm going to make eye contact with you. And I want you to move without me having to say that. And so she does that and she looks at him and he doesn't move. At this point, the rest of us are making eye contact with each other. Like, what's going on here? And I'm about ready to say, you got to move, bro. Right? I I know this room's a little stuff, but you're not seeing this. And she literally starts to open the door, all right? And the door opens and it just hits him. And he doesn't move. And we're all like, what's going on here? And he stands there and he does this. And then he goes, Bad. I've never seen this in my entire life. His legs locked, he was a tree in the woods and he fell directly into me, and I caught him like a front squat, like. And I'm just like, what is happening? And my pregnant wife has to get up so I can put the fainted guy into the chair, right? And he's sitting there in the chair, just like out of it. And then in about 10 seconds, his eyes kind of open, and he just goes, I'm lightheaded, right? We're like, yeah, like. (laughs) <laughs> Not new information for us, man. And I've never experienced this before. And w- what I came to realize is that the reason he wasn't being a jerk, he was already gone, right? His body just hadn't caught up to what was going on in his mind yet. But eventually, and it was, it was a profound moment, right? it's a profound moment. I'd never seen anything like that where his body was taken captive by his mind. Right? the weight. Now, I can, I'm not going to put words to his feelings, but he was a little bit of a younger guy, and I think this was probably his first experience. And it hit him, and literally his, his thoughts, right? what was going on inside of him, took control of him. Now, this was a pretty crazy example uh, of this. I'm going to be praying for him on the day of the real day. All right? <laughs> but, but I... Although maybe you haven't had that experience, I think we've all had experiences before where thoughts or internal dispositions of ourselves have taken control of our lives. And so we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit today. Um, The way that we've been kind of moving into each one of our topics is that we've been looking at uh, different stories and different lore Uh, passed down from generation to generation, often children's stories. And what we've been finding is that the original versions of these stories are a little bit different than the ones that we read like in the nursery to our kids. So Danny's been sharing about the Velveteen Rabbit. Uh, Last week, he talked about Little Red Riding Hood. And this week, you guessed it, we're gonna talk about the three little pigs, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I bet so many of you woke up this morning, you're like, I can't wait. I'm so expectant of the three little pigs at church today. And some of you are like, what is wrong with this church, right? So, uh, what I would like to do is we're going to read through the story again. Early entailing is going to be, I think, a little bit different. It was for me than what I experienced. This story was first included in the, in the Nursery Rhymes of England by James Halliwell Phillips and published in 1886, though it was believed to have been passed on through oral tradition for hundreds of years before that. So this is a story that's been told for some time, and any time that a story has been told and it has passed through generations, I think it's, a, it's wise of us to be curious to say, well, Why is there staying power in this? Like, why is that? Why do other stories fall away and this one stays? So I'm going to tell the story, all right, and you follow along with me. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs, and the time came for them to leave home and to seek their fortunes. Before they left, their mother told them, whatever you do, do it the best that you can because that's the way to get along in the world. The first little pig built his house out of straw because it was the easiest thing to do. And the second little pig built his house out of sticks. And there was, this was a little bit stronger than a straw house. And the third little pig built his house out of bricks. One night, the big bad wolf, who dearly loved to eat fat little piggies, original story, came along and saw the first little pig in his house of straw. And he said, let me in, let me in, little pig, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, said the pig. Weird response. But of course, the the wolf did blow the house in and ate the first little pig. I don't know if you remember, in my story, the pig ran to the next house. (laughs) Not this one. The wolf then came to the house of sticks. Let me in. Let me in, little pig, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Said the little pig. But the wolf blew that house in, two and ate the second pig. The wolf then came to the house of bricks. Let me in. Let me in, cried the wolf, or I'll huff and I'll puff till I blow your house in. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, said the pig. Well... The wolf huffed and puffed, but he could not blow down that brick house. But the wolf was a sly old wolf, and he climbed up on the roof to look for a way into the brick house. And the little pig saw the wolf climb up on the roof and lit a roaring fire in the fireplace and placed on it a large kettle of water. When the wolf finally found the hole in the chimney, he crawled down and, Splash right into that kettle of water, and that was the end of the pig's troubles with the big, bad wolf. And the next day, the little pig invited his mother over, and she said, You see? It is just as I told you. The way to get along in the world is to do things as well as you can. Fortunately for that little pig, he learned that lesson, and he just lived happily ever after. We won't mention the fact that two of his brothers were just killed, and every time he sees the wolf for the rest of his life, it's traumatic, but that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. The main theme of this story, see, all these stories, they're packaging on a main theme. The main theme is taking your time to do something right pays off, especially in preparation for trouble. Right? Let me say that again. Taking your time to do something right pays off, especially in preparation for trouble. This is a very important lesson in our world that we live in, moving from our story world back into our world. Jesus had something to say about this. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart I have overcome the world. Almost every story we love and tell comes down to a confrontation, a day of trouble. See, what Jesus has told us is you're going to have trouble in this world. I've given you everything you need to overcome that trouble. But here's the problem that we have, friends. We want that to be just the math equation where we just, cool, I have it, it's over. But I don't know about you guys, like my trouble hasn't stopped Right? And when I say trouble, I'm not just talking about like you getting in trouble from your parents or a teacher. I'm, t- I'm saying the stresses of this world, the anxieties of this world, the battles of this world, the confrontations of this world. Almost all the stories that we love have some sort of confrontation. And many of them start with a few smaller battles and they work their way up to larger battles. C.S. Lewis says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Friends, whether you know it or not or recognize it or not, you're in a battle. And I know sometimes it's easier and it's, gosh, it's more peaceful to just leave that outside. But there are forces pulling you towards God and pulling you away from God. And the earlier that you recognize that, and realize that that is a part of this world. The better that story and that fight will be. First Peter five eight through nine says, "Be controlled and be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." And these two powerful words show up: resist him, standing firm in the faith. Right? These two words: resist him again. If we read this as uh, a prescription to do, we think all, my entire job, all I have to do is resist him and he flees, right? Like that's the equation, like underneath the line, that's that's the answer that I get. So all I have to do is resist him. But we know as people who have lived this life for a while, the ways in which we have to get really savvy and really wise about the way that we resist. It's not just enough to resist. We have to get really aware of how to mount an actual resistance. When the battle to come is certain and the adversary formidable, and ours is, we must take refuge to best mount our attack or resist resist. In many of our beloved stories, resistance happens from an actual physical place, okay? I don't know if you can see it, but there's a sweet castle right right up here, okay? Many of the stories that we love, there is a castle, there is a fortress, there's an actual place that either, right, we have to protect and we have to have walls to protect the enemy from getting inside of, or we, we have to destroy the castle and get inside to destroy the enemy, Right? This word, no, obviously we don't see the word castle in the Bible, but the Bible uses different terms for this sort of physical place. Okay? We use words like fortress or stronghold. A fortress or stronghold in the Bible is a place that has been fortified so as to protect against attack or a person or thing not susceptible to outside influence or disturbance. So it's both... An actual place and a person who is not susceptible to outside influence, but our resistance doesn't just come from a physical place. As Christ followers, in terms of resisting our enemy, Psalm sixty-two six says, "He only, He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken." Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And Nahum 1.7 maybe says it best, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. The Bible has often given us this beautiful imagery and again, we know often we don't get to a day of trouble without it starting with a second of trouble and then a minute of trouble and then an hour of trouble, right? And then it becomes a day of trouble and then a week of trouble and a month. And for many of us, we've been living years of trouble. This, this brokenness, this, this way in which we encounter the world. So in the Bible... Right? We are called to allow God to be our fortress, our stronghold in the day of trouble. And why is that? 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in the Bible, a stronghold takes two forms. It's a place we are to go and a place we are to destroy. And your ability to tell the difference is the difference between you being in the fight and out of it. So here's the thing about our enemy. He doesn't just have to win the battle. He just has to get you out of the fight, right? He just has to get you out of the fight. So what do I mean? Many of you that have taken uh, Rooted before, we do a lot of talking about this idea of strongholds. Um, what do I mean when I say stronghold, especially the ones that we are to destroy? The strongholds that we are to destroy, with them, our hearing from God is altered, our belief in God is shaken, our desires are distorted, our actions are disobedient, and our relationships are this word unwholesome. I don't know if you know, if have looked in the dictionary lately about this idea of the word wholesome, the definition means promoting health or well-being, that which brings more life. So the idea is our enemy loves to build places inside of our life that don't bring life. Now, they often are small pockets. And they're not the whole person, but they're pockets in which, if we're honest, the Lord does not have dominion over God is not Lord over this part of our lives. The existence of a stronghold can be recognized because it will be that area in your life in which you consistently have problems and cannot live in victory. You can tell a stronghold is established when a habitual pattern of failure or hopelessness exists. Our job is to recognize that we have weak spots, that our enemy wants to come and establish his places inside of our lives. And we're going to talk about how that happens in just a few minutes. Right? Establish strongholds inside of God's territory, which is you, by the way. Right? And have those small spaces where he sets up camp. And his favorite thing to do is convince you that he's not there. And the best thing that we can do is get really good at, if you remember what we said earlier taking every thought captive. Now, here's how we do that. We have to take these thoughts, these strongholds captive, but I don't know if you have ever tried to take uh, something captive that didn't want to be captive, right? Um, I want to introduce you to a family member of ours, okay? This is my parents. This is grandma and papa's dog, okay? This is Cindy Lou. Do not let her cuteness, do not let it deceive you This is the face of the resistance right here. (laughs) So, cute little dog, very loving, loves my son, um, cries when he leaves, but Cindy has this problem where if she gets out, she's like nine pounds and she's the fastest little thing that's ever lived in the history of the world. Now, one time I, I pulled up and my mom came out and my son hopped out. And the dog ran out the door and we're trying to get the dog. And I kind of fancy myself as kind of an athletic guy. And I'm like, I got this, right? Don't worry. I got the dog. (laughs) I haven't had grass stains on my jeans in like 25 years, right? (laughs) Because I am diving after this dog. (coughs) Excuse me. I cannot catch this dog. And the entire time just smiling as it runs away from me, darting everywhere. I can't catch it, right? I cannot get it. And finally, we end up grabbing the dog after a long, like embarrassingly, like grown man, embarrassingly long. Okay. One night I get a call and uh, my mom's ended up having to take my dad into the doctor, um, which everything turned out okay. But as they started to leave, the dog got out and she needed to take him and couldn't get the dog. And she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, go, I'll come over. Right. Right. And this is late, by the way. This is kind of one of those, oh, make sure that you get to the doctor. It's like 10.30 at night. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I have a big salmon net, right, in my garage. And so I grab this salmon net. And I want you to picture this, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. The dog got out. We don't know where the dog is in the neighborhood. I'm driving slowly through a neighborhood with my windows down with a giant salmon net out of it. And it kind of hits me like, not gonna be good. Like, someone's gonna call the cops, like something not good's gonna happen. I actually turn the corner and I see the dog sitting on someone's porch, just chilling, like a road over, a block over. And I start to get out and the dog just goes, "Boo!" right? And I'm just like, what am I gonna do? And then I remember, right? Every once in a while I listen, right? Every once in a while, you're supposed to listen to mom. This is, this is a life lesson, right? And I remember my mom, the way she gets the dog now, she didn't have a net, right? You know what she does? She goes and gets the bag of treats, and she walks outside. And what she do? She shakes it. Some, again, just like my friend in the hospital room, something comes over this little dog, right, where the mind takes over the body, and it just comes running. And all of a sudden, this thing that was so hard... So hard to take captive, right? just runs right into your arms, right? It's a really difficult thing to do. And that's what happened as I grabbed the dog. It's a really difficult thing to take every thought captive. And we have to learn the ways in which we are able to do this. Because when we don't take our thoughts captive, they take us captive. Our enemy knows this. And by the way, he's really good at it himself. His way is to invite us into ways of thinking, ways of feeling, right? ways of being that just get us out of the game, out of, out of the battle. And this is how he does it. Exodus 34, 6-7 through seven gives us some framework for that, which says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, chesed love, by the way, for thousands, forgiving, these three words, this is what we have to pay attention to, iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's ch- children to the third and the fourth generation. Really easy to read over a verse like that and see, not see the power of it. So, so when we look at these words, okay, uh, iniquity, transgression and sin we're really comfortable with this or at least we know we talk about it a bit as christians right so sometimes in the bible this the word sin is a catch-all word for our rebellion against god brokenness in our lives and sometimes it is talking about a specific idea a specific way in which we do that in this particular verse when you think about sin think of the actions of my hands Right? These are the physical things, these are the actual ways that sin is lived out in my life. But one of the ways that our enemy would love to convince us is that's the only way. So we pay a lot of attention to this, just social media. right? Watch social media, watch the news, we pay attention, and we should, to the ways in which sin shows up physically in our world. But that's not the only way it shows up in our world. It also shows up in transgressions which is the attitude of my mind, right? This is the thoughts that we have that take control over us. And iniquity is the assumptions of my heart. And what this verse tells us there are these different ways, these different methods that our enemy loves to distract us, to invite us, to set up camp in our lives. Some of us, and this is, this is a really good mirror to look into, by the way, and say, am I a person who's drawn to sin with my hands, right? Am I a person who's drawn to transgression, the attitudes of my mind? So f- for many of us, there, there are thought patterns and processes that are so intertwined. Many times, uh, that's generational, Right? This is my family thinks this way. We're pessimistic or, or whatever it is. We're anxious. And I'm not even aware that that is my pattern of life. And I'm not even aware that there's another way to actually live, right? And then iniquity is the assumptions of my heart. This is my heart's disposition, right? This is the posture in which my soul is taking in this world. And when it really is is my willingness to allow God to be Lord of my life and my, my obedience to Him. And could it be that we have some areas of our life, right? I, maybe some of us are doing really good physically. You're here, by the way. So you're at church, right? Many of you even raised your hand, sung during worship, right? Those are physical things, those are good things, right? Really good things. But it doesn't mean that the attitudes in your mind are subservient to God and it doesn't mean that the disposition of your heart is. And this is what Satan loves to remind us, is just take care of the surface stuff. We're good, right? But do you remember the lesson that we have from our, the, the mother pig? right? She said, whatever you do, do it the best that you can because that's the way they get along in the world. Which, by the way, aligns really perfectly with Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So friends, I want to bring a little weight to the room right now. Our ability... To identify, to diagnose, and then to move against the strongholds in our life is absolutely powerful. If you remember our verse from Exodus, because this iniquity, this disposition to God, right, is what is passed down from generation to generation. So yes, things with our hands are passed down from generation, but it's the internal things, our thinking, and then it's our disposition of our heart that we have to pay attention to, because if they are not... Right, Again, when you don't take them captive, they take you captive. Whether you know it or not, friends. There are many things that we are living in captivity to right now. And Satan loves that we're not aware of it. We're just in that flow of the world. Spirituality, right? This, what we're doing right now, is becoming aware. Is waking up is being willing to look at it. It doesn't matter how high your walls are if there is a weak spot in your castle. Okay? So if you build up everything you do, so if you say, listen, I'm a person who prays, right? And I walk into that refuge. So you say that I have strongholds in my life and... and and so the way to destroy a stronghold is to actually retreat to a stronghold. So, so I go there all the time, but the problem is, for, and friends, I just, man, we're just going to do this whole honest thing here if that's okay. For many of us, it's a really good thing that we are called to pray, but if I'm honest, if we're honest, and Jesus spoke to this, many of our prayers just hit the physical realm, right? They literally never hit our head and heart. There's something I just said, there, there's a need that I have or something that's on this world and all I did was just echo out and I sent it to him. And that's a good, friends, but it's not at all, right? We have to allow that to get inward somehow. So my question is, if your job is to retreat to the stronghold on the day of trouble, do you know the way in? Like, Like seriously, do you... If you leave here today and you get a phone call or some circumstance happens, where a second turns into a minute, turns into an hour, and this day of trouble wants to take you out, wants to stress, anxiety, this life, lust, all the above, how how do you get out of that? Like, how do I enter into this castle in a way that I am living in freedom, right? I'll go first. Um, I've been a pastor for 15 years now. Uh, uh, I started, <laughs> I've always, I've shared this, I started way too young. <laughs> and um, I love it, and I am absolutely called, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. And I'm, I'm called to this, and I, I know this now, that it, my, my role in this world is, is to come alongside people in their journey with God, and it's specifically uh, around hurting people, right? I'm people that have experienced pain and, and, and need hope, and so that's, that's what I do. That's what I've always done, by the way. Um, but early on in my ministry career, uh, what I did is I got next to a lot of hurting people, and uh, because of how I'm wired as a human being, because of how God created me, uh, I'm an empath. And so I sit with you in your pain, and I take it on, right? And it allows me to see you pretty well, but here's the problem. If I don't know how to unpack that somewhere... Right? Every time I come around a hurting person, I just grab more pain and just insert it into my life. And so early on, I had built this amazing castle. Like, I'm, I'm the Lord's fortress, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to help be a fortress for you. But then every single time I did that, I gave you one of my bricks. Right? And it's taken years and years and years to realize that I, this is my calling. But the only way that this is a sustainable calling, the only way that I continue to do this, hopefully for years and years and years to come, is to realize that this isn't mine to carry. So I have built what I like to call a traveling stronghold, right? When I leave the office every day, it's a very short walk to my truck, but I recite the same thing every single day, sometimes out loud, and sometimes it's just internally. I say this, be with and bless your children because they are your children and you are a good father. I want to say this again, be with and bless your children because they are your children and you are a good father. That might just sound like words to you, but they are life to me. If I don't unpack what I encounter during the day, when I'm not able to go home and be what I'm called to be most, which is a husband and a father, right? I am absolutely called to this, but I'm not God. And my disposition, my brokenness, my thinking in here and my heart disposition really wants most of us that are in caregiving professions, your teachers, your doctors, your nurses, all that you know who you are in caregiving professions, we love to help people, but we also really love to be the helper, Right, and I have to remind ourselves, myself. One, said, Lord, these are Your children, not mine. Right, and when I say be with and bless Your children, that's a reminder that He already is. Right, I'm not telling Him to do anything. I need to be reminded that I just got called in like a relief pitcher for a little bit. Right, but I'm going to go to the dugout, and God's always going to be the manager of the team. Right. Because they're your children and you're a good father because you are always in control of this. I promise you, this little sentence, this stronghold that I have built into my life is freedom, right? It is moving outside of bondage and it's moving into freedom, which is exactly what a stronghold is supposed to do. So, again, my question for you is are you aware of your weak spots? Are you aware of the way in which the enemy loves to get you out of the game? Have you built practices? Prayer lives, relationships that address that? Or could it be that you have a beautiful high-walled castle with a door that is just wide open? And the only way, the only way to stop the influx of the enemy is to admit that it's happening, right? So some of us are really aware And you've done some work, and I appreciate that, of our weak spots. You're you're really self-aware. Many of us need to sit next to some loved ones, which is a really scary thing, by the way. Loved ones that have the 360 view of us, right? Even our blind spots. And ask questions like, "Is is there anything habitual that you see in my world that's a blind spot? Is there any weak point in my faith, in my life, in my role as a loving agent of God in this world that you think I'm not addressing or it doesn't look like I am? But here's the thing about our enemy. He's already built some um, systems into that because as soon as you want to say something like that, he loves to come in and speak in, speak in. Uh, possible transgressions and iniquity into your life that says, oh, you can't admit weakness. You can't, you can't do that. That They may not love you if you show your broken parts. Right? And so all of a sudden this, this narrative happens again that speaks into my identity and my worth as a child of God. And can, can I tell you a secret, friends? There is no battle We started this entire thing by Jesus saying, you're going to have a life of trouble, but I have overcome the world. What Satan wants to remind you is that you're not powerful. And see, what he wants to do is keep you away from your stronghold that reminds you that you are powerful through the spirit of God. You are more than conquerors. And that's what we are called to live in. But he's gotten really good at just keeping you out of the game. If I can distract you, if I can keep you anxious, if I can keep you busy, if I can keep you paying attention to things that really don't matter in this world, then you are not gaining ground for the kingdom. At best, you're just holding ground. Friends, that's not what we are called to do. We are called to be children of God who advance the kingdom of God in this world. And what that means, friends, is we come here together on Sundays and we're enlivened by the Spirit we're reminded of the power that we walk with and the authority that we walk with every single day and little by little by little we learn through practice right through little way and especially understanding our weak spots we learn ways to carry that strength with us that it's not just here on a sunday morning that we get empowered that i i now have this traveling stronghold do you know what i can pull it out anytime like, it's not just a one-time or a two-time thing. Any time that I recognize myself moving into this place where I'm anxious or I'm, what's, Lord, what are you going to do? And he's like, are you serious? I've always had this. I've always had this. Chris, your job is to play your role. Friends, as Christians, we're to do two things. We're to figure out what we are all to do. We are all to gather. We are all to love one another. We are all to carry one another's burdens. We are to sacrificially love one another, right? To show grace to one another. You have to, we have to say, what are we all doing? And then you have to say, what am only I supposed to do? What is the way in which that I am an agent in this army, that I am part of the battle plan, taking ground for the side of good and love, and God. So, friends, the courageous step is to say, "Where is my weak point?" One of my favorite theologians, Walter Brueggemann, says, "Pain named turns to energy, and pain not named turns to violence." I'll let that sit in for a second. There, be, there are narratives that we are living in right now that cause us to continually just live a cycle of this world. And the earlier that you are brave enough and courageous enough to bring those out into the light, the only place that they can heal, the earlier that you heal and then become a place of refuge for others. That's the whole, that's the game, friends. That's the entire thing. There is no actual battle. We live in victory right now. It doesn't mean trouble goes away. But we live in victory right now. And so your job is to continue to not just build a physical place, but understand yourself in a way that says, how do I continue to live in that every single day? And what's at stake? No matter the type of stronghold, whether it's the time I live in or I'm to destroy They're passed down from generation to generation. Wherever you live will be passed down. Now, maybe it's passed down to a child. Maybe it's just passed down around you. Maybe it's just passed on to coworkers and friends. But there's a lot at stake here. I pray that you get into this battle. I pray that you pay attention to say, am I gaining ground in this battle? This week, I was um, in the office and there was a song that continued to play. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but every once in a while I hear a song or see something that that says what I'm feeling better than I could say it, right? And there's a song that came on that says, I don't wanna miss one word you speak because everything you say is life to me. I don't wanna miss one word you speak. Quiet my heart. I'm listening, and that's what we do in our strongholds, we listen, we listen for God's love and his truth over our lives, and we let the noise fall away, and then we move back into this world, and the more that you listen, the more that you live there. So as we close our time today, I'm I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna spend some time in worship, and friends, I just, are you listening? Could it be that he's speaking freedom over you, but you're not listening? Could it be that there's a way in which the enemy is continually moving in your life, and we're ignoring it? My hope is freedom for you. My hope is grace for you. My hope is that you get in the battle. Let's pray. I speak collectively over this group right now, Lord, that we don't want to miss one word you speak. I confess that often I busy myself with noise, that there are narratives, that there are transgressions and iniquities inside of me that convince me I don't need to listen, that I'm good on my own, and I repent of that now, and I move towards you. I know that there is power in singing, there is power in of our collective voice, and that this this few moments that we have left would be you speaking directly into each of us. What if that was each one of our prayers? Lord, I'm listening. What do you have to say? We're listening, Lord. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray.